All right, we are continuing our series called Rhythm. How many of you guys got rhythm? Who self-admits uh, they have no rhythm? <laughs> a few of you. All right, well, you know, together we'll get the rhythm going. What we're talking about as we began this year is saying it's not just about making some New Year's resolutions and, and trying to do some things new and right uh, as we head into the new year, but how can we order our lives in such a way that we get into the rhythm that God created us for? that he designed us for, the rhythm that he seems to have put into creation for us. And if we lived in this rhythm of life, this rhythm of day in and day out, week in, week out, that if we got on track with God's rhythm, we would find a different centeredness in our life, a different peace, and a different wholeness that comes. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what this rhythm is. And we've been looking at the creation story. And if we begin in creation, in Genesis chapter 1, we know right off the bat it says, in the beginning God created. And he began this process of creating. And last week we talked about how he has wired us in his image to also be people who create. And that we make, and that there's a, a goodness that we bring to this world. And he would make, he would take the day and night and he separated the two. That was kind of where he began. There was light and there was darkness. And in this light and darkness, there was night and day, and that began that rhythm of day one, God created, and then He rested. Day two, God created, and then He rested. Day three, God created, and He rested. It was back and forth uh, each day, six days of the week. And on the seventh day, God took a whole day off to rest, and it was called the Sabbath. And it was put into this order of, of creation. And so what we are talking about is how do we find this rhythm between work, creating, and play, recreating on a daily basis, six days a week, and then on the seventh day, this rhythm of rest. And so again, last week we talked about this, this rhythm of creating, and how do you go and, and approach the end of your day, and like God did, he, he created, and then he said, he looked at what he had made that day and said, it was good. How many of you this week were able to go to work and look back and say, it, it was good at the end of a day, and be able to, and, and, and find the good? And be able to say, God, this is how you used me to make a difference. And we talked a lot more about what it looks like to honor God with your work and what you do with the best part of your producing hours of your life. And then we want to move now to this idea of how do we recreate? How do we renew? And I actually had a, a whole message set up that I'm actually going to bump until next week because I think we need to take a pause here because one of the rhythms that God has put into creation and into his people throughout the Old Testament is this idea of celebrating. And it just happens to be what? <laughs> Our seventh birthday as a church. And it's easy to just kind of, and, and I actually got into this mode, I was like, you know, it's seven. You know, it's not like a round number like the fifth birthday or the tenth birthday. And so it's just a birthday. We'll mention it and we'll move on. And I had some of the team leaders say, no, it's a birthday. We have to celebrate it. And Lindsay said, I'm going to make cupcakes. And Lindsay and Mary made a bunch of cupcakes. And, and, when, and we realized we do need to take this time to pause and to celebrate and, and I want to look at a scripture in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. So you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9 in your, in your Bibles. And uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible or don't have one whose translation you can read, you're feel, feel free to take home the ones that we have here uh, for you. Those are our gift to you. If you would like this Bible, take it, put your name in it. It's yours. Deuteronomy chapter 4. As you're turning there, I just want to reflect that seven years is a big milestone. Seven years for a church is a huge milestone. Many churches that started don't exist past a couple of years, and, and we've been around for seven years doing great ministry in this community. And, and though we may not all have been part of the whole seven years, it's a part of your story. 
What happened at one and what happened before you came is a part of your story. It's a part of who we are today, and it shapes who we are going forward. It tells us about our story and God's cre- creation and God's plan for this community. And so we're going to dive into some of that journey and look at it. And as a reference, I want to, again, look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I want to look at verse, um, verse 9. Let's see here. Did I want to start verse 9? Yeah, verse 9. Here, Moses is talking to the people of Israel. And he's just been talking about the, the commandments and the ways that we need to obey God. And, but he's also talking about their history. And here's what he says. He said, but watch out. Be very careful never to forget what you have seen the Lord do for you. Do not let these things escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. And this morning I told uh, Debbie, our children's director, I said, uh, I said, can you please, uh, would it be okay if we had the older kids in here this morning? Because we're talking about telling the story. What is the story? And I want to share with you the story of one. The story that got us to this point. And I want to see this as a way of honoring God as he says here, watch out. Don't forget what you have seen the Lord do for you. And then don't let these things escape your mind. And so we need to look back and go, God, how have you led us through this journey? And then I love the way verse 10 begins, we're going to begin it in Scripture and we're going to end it with our story. And it says this, tell them especially about the day when... Dot, dot, dot. See, there was a story for them and we still celebrate some of the stories and this Scripture is a part of our story. When we celebrate the Passover and what Christ did for us and we celebrate how God um, led the people out of slavery and through the Red Sea and He freed them to live a life honoring to Him. And, and we share those stories. And they had celebrations and festivals that they would never forget what God had done for them. And so I want to tell you, especially about the day when. When one community church started. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, in Anderson, Indiana, <laughs> the story of one began. And even though we celebrate seven years this morning, meaning it was January 2007 that we launched weekly services, the story actually begins a couple of years before that in 2005. And part of the theme I think that you're going to hear through the story of one is that it's a story of taking risks. It's a story of stepping out in faith. It's a story of of not being sure what would be next, but trusting God to come through time and time again. And so it began in 2005. And I'm going to have some, some pictures couple of them up here as we go along and and the story really began it was just one community church was just three people it was me and Shannon and Miana who was just a couple of months old at the time <laughs> she's giggling about that you were part of the story there was just three of us so we've grown a little bit over the years here but there was just three of us and I remember this process back in 2005 we were youth pastors Shannon and I together at a church in Indiana and we began thinking what would it look like for a church that really reaches out into the world, really makes the bridge between unchurched people, people who don't have a connection or have been burned by church or by faith, and would really be a church that welcomes everyone and says, let's begin this journey with Christ together. But we weren't sure, and, and, and God was stirring in our hearts, and we, we started exploring church planting in more specific terms. And we went to a conference that was for church planting. And if you're not familiar with this term, church planting means to start a church, like you would do a plant. You begin somewhere from nothing and you just begin to grow a new church in a new place. We were at this conference and, and it was a moving conference and after a couple of days of, of hearing the speakers, I remember it was, I think it was the final night of the conference, 
one of the speakers, Gary Kendall, who had planted a church and was leading the organization, gave the challenge out to those there after the worship and through the message. And he said, if you feel God is calling you and prompting you to take a step in faith and to start a church, we need people who are willing to step out and start churches. If that's you, would you stand up and just make that commitment before God right now? And I remember just my heart pounding out of my chest. Like, I knew it. I knew it was time to do this. We had to do this. And I remember standing up. But I also remember I made the fateful mistake of making such a huge commitment without first checking to see if my wife was on board. Anyone with me on this one? <laughs> right? We're going to go plant a church. And, and I remember standing up and that thought crossed my mind and I looked over to my wife and she was standing right next to me. And it was one of those affirming moments where we said, we knew this is what God has called us to do. We didn't know where. We didn't know what. We didn't know how. We had no plans. It was just, again, that step of we're committing without knowing what's next. Ever been there? If you haven't, you don't know faith. If you've never taken a step forward trusting God to do something in your life that you're doing in obedience without having all the answers in place, you don't know faith. Faith in what we believe is, is stepping out on, 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 on the promises of God and on who He is and in His character. And we stepped out not knowing and God began to unfold a pretty remarkable journey before us And I remember even at that time as we dreamed about planting a church, a scripture out of John chapter 15. I don't know if somebody spoke on it or if if God just, uh, you know, if that came through some of my reading. But it became something we held on to. And it's these verses, John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus is saying, Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful apart from me. Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And it was this reminder, again, we're stepping out in faith, God, apart from you, we can't do anything. We can't be fruitful, we can't reach people, we can't make a difference. You've got to come through, God. And so the journey led us here to Phoenix. The organization we were with said in 2006, come. Actually, in 2005, they said, come check out Phoenix. And so we came out here. And are we getting any of the pictures yet? Are those, oh, they're not popping up? Oh, that's too bad. I'm sorry, guys. Well, you'll just have to imagine in your mind a story time. Um, so we moved out here in, in 2006. God, the, the people we were, the organization we were w- with said, um, Phoenix is ripe with growth. Anyone out here in 2005? <laughs> place was booming. Place was exploding. And they said, come out to the Southeast Valley. Great things are happening. And and we, we began to see the area. We fell in love with the area. They brought us out here in October. Who doesn't want to move, you know, mid to late October? Who doesn't want to move to Phoenix <laughs> that time of the year? It was beautiful. And, and so we came out, and it was a parachute drop. But to, but to make that step, we had to leave everything. We left, Phoenix, we left uh, Indiana. We had just purchased a house there. We left, uh, the only family that we had was around there. We had no family out here in Arizona. We didn't know anybody. And what they call that in, in, in church planning world is a parachute drop. They basically, you know, it's like they, the, the, the church people, they fly you over and drop you off and say, here, start a church here. And so we landed here, and I remember moving into Johnson Ranch, into a rental house at first, and just going, all right, it's the three of us, here we go, let's start a church. And started trying to meet people and, and, and get connected in the community and, and, uh, and started dreaming about a church. What would this church be? What would it look like? What would its name be? How would we want to lead? And we began to pull a few people together, and, and Chris Gwaltney was part of our team. He eventually moved out later on that year. That year, and, 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 and I remember one time as we were processing, what do we name this church? What, uh, what do you name a church? You know? and, and 
I was reading Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three great stories. A story about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. And all these stories talk about something that is lost is, must be found. And the great effort and the links that people go to to find the lost thing. And when they find it, there is great celebration. There is great rejoicing. And then in the story of the lost son, the third one in that, in that series, the brother, who was, it was his duty to go out and search for the lost, his, his brother that went away, but his, the older brother didn't do that. He didn't chase after the younger son. But when the son returned to his father again, there was great celebration of people returning to their heavenly father. And it just impressed upon me, one, who are we seeking? The one, and there's a verse in John, I mean in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, it says this, in the same way, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. People, that's the name of our church. Each of us, is the one. Think about that. Each of us is the one. At some point in time, somebody reached out to us. Somebody shared the good news with us. Some of us are still on the journey of being the one and finding God and coming home to the Father. But that is why our name, whenever you see our name, do not forget that we are here for the one that isn't here yet. That we exist for the lost one because there is great rejoicing in heaven when one person comes to Christ and finds their way back home. And so we began with that I remember doing a mailer and, and uh, we had gotten a great opportunity to start our church at Santan Flat. How many of you guys have enjoyed Santan Flat before? You can be out there. We saw that place when we moved out here. And I remember thinking, what a neat place for a church. And I had a meeting with the president of the Chamber of Commerce one day. And, and, uh, and, and he was talking to the owner. And, and, and so I got to meet the owner. And I remember telling him, this would be a great place to start a church. And he said, well... If you want to, go ahead. We don't open till later on Sunday, so you can meet here. And I thought, really? Free of charge, free of rent. We, and so we decided we're going to do some preview services there. And I remember doing this mailer, and I don't even know how, I mean, I was intentional about it, but it wasn't meant to be like our tagline or anything. And I just put out there, I said, dress how you want, come as you are, church for people who don't like church. And that phrase, church for people who don't like church, became this this identifying piece for us. People began to gravitate towards that. Many people told us that's why we came to church when we saw that on your website or on your sign. When we saw you meeting in a place like Santan Flat, we thought there must be something different about that church. So we did some preview services and started to gather some folks. And then on January 21st, which would be the equivalent of this Sunday, the third Sunday in January, we decided that would be the Sunday for our grand opening where we would begin to have weekly services. Now, coming from Indiana, we thought church outdoors would be great because Arizona, it's beautiful year-round, right? But if you've lived in Arizona any length of time, you think January's cold. <laughs> you think January, especially in the mornings, oh, I mean, maybe by the afternoon. But see, we'd have to get out there at like 8, 8.30 in the morning to set up when the temperature can still be like in the 30s in January. We have an exceptionally warmer January right now. And on that grand opening Sunday, it, there was snow in parts of the valley. It was snowing in parts of the valley up and up and and so it was just brutal. It was cold, it was windy, but about two hundred people still came out and sat there outside for our ribbon cutting for our first worship service. We had bounce houses and 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 all kinds of things ready to go and nobody even stuck around because they're like, we've got to get our kids home. And we had like hot dogs that we ordered galore, didn't even have a time to do the barbecue. Everyone just wanted to get warm, but but it was a special morning. And it really was the beginning of what was one community church 
in weekly worship gatherings. And, and those were some memorable days out at Santan Flat where we had a dust storm blow through one morning. <laughs> I got some pictures of, of like sand blowing across. The, the, the banners are going sideways. People are like sitting like this, trying to protect it from the wind. I remember a road runner running across the stage while we were speaking. A stray dog came by one time. Uh, I, memories, you know, fun memories. I remember having to get in there. And if you've been to Santan Flat, you know that on Saturday nights, there's a lot of partying and fun that goes on there. And and uh, we'd have to get in there Sunday mornings and turn that pool, you know, hall that they have into a nursery <laughs> so that people would entrust their little babies to us and let them crawl around. And so we would clean that and, and get that ready and every Sunday transform Santan Flat into a place where we could worship TV screens and our, and our speakers. And, and that's how it began. And we, would spend, we spent a couple of months there and, uh, and then we realized, you know, we, we, it's getting too hot to be outside. And and God opened up the door for us to be at Mountain Vista Middle School, just here in the neighborhood, a little bit further away. And, uh, and, and we were preparing for a launch uh, in that school on Easter in that first year. And uh, it was nice. We had air conditioning. <laughs> that was a benefit. And we had classrooms. And kids could be, you know, we could begin our children's ministry. And, and over the, the years of being at Mountain Vista Middle School, we really took the first steps as a church, which were uh, you know, building the children's ministry and starting some things for youth and even took some stabs into uh, missions trips and and just getting into that rhythm of of being the church and and those were those were volatile uh, years as far as just attendance we were up and we were down and people were coming and going and and we're just trying to f- get our legs under us uh, as a young church. Uh, one story I remember from from uh, from being there we you know did the setup and teardown thing and it was the it was the day before school started and there was a brand new principal who was uh, starting at Mountain Vista Middle School that next day. And so she's all, you know, getting ready for for school and everything. And and we had to tear everything down that Sunday. So we were just getting ready. We had taken everything down. We put everything in the trailer. And I remember being on stage and at the other school, there were these panels. And I, you know, we'd always put the panels back in place to kind of close off the stage. Well, I was putting, I think, one of the last panels in place. And I was, it was stuck. And I couldn't, I was just kind of moving it. And then I think I was like, I'm just going to put my shoulder into it, you know? You, got, you can't finesse this thing. These things are heavy and big. So I threw my shoulder in, and all of a sudden, water starts coming down at about like 100 gallons a minute. There was a sprinkler head, one of those security sprinklers, you know, emergency sprinklers, and the alarms were going off, and it water was just coming down at, at, a, um, at a Noah rate, you know, at a, at a, in a biblical proportions. And it was just flooding the stage, and water was running everywhere, and it started flowing down the steps and into the thing and the, the principal still lived in Phoenix and she was called and the fire department had to come out and we were just trying to keep the place from flooding and this was again the day before school started in their cafeteria where they were going to have all the kids meet and, uh, and, and get ready for the next day and anyway it was, it was chaos, it was crazy but when you're a church in the box, when you're a portable church, those are part of your stories and there was a bonding moment there for those of us who were part of it, and the, the teardown team all made sure that they were very glad that I was the one who, who put that last panel into place, um, and, and uh, they didn't have to deal with the consequences of that. So we had, I think there was about $20,000 of damage that was done to the school and all the cleanup, and thankfully we had insurance to cover those things. Well, we, we were then in the, in the school for a few years, and there was a sense, though, that part of our identity was still tied, even with being out at Santan Flat. There was something about us being unconventional, doing something in a different setting, and as weird as it felt, being in a school felt kind of normal out here. All the churches meet in schools, so we're just like all the other churches, and, and that's good. They're doing great things, but 
we kind of felt like we wanted to get out on that front edge of being where people are in the community. And so we, we started dreaming about what would it look like to open another worship site. And we were having these conversations when the church was about 80 or, 80 or 90 people, 100 people. And God opened up another opportunity for us, and this time at the Johnson Ranch Terrace, which is the golf course. They have an outdoor pavilion. I don't know if you've been there. It's a restaurant and a pavilion. And we saw this place. I talked with the owner, and he said, yeah, you guys can do church here. And we thought, all right, well, let's, uh, let's start on Easter Sunday. And remember, our church running about 100 at that time, and we were going to do worship at the school, but we were also going to do church at uh, outdoors. And we called it 37-minute church. Some, how many of you guys would love 37-minute church? <laughs> hey, put your hands down. That's not fair. That's not nice. No, we thought, again, we want to reach out in the community. What can we do to lower all the barriers to reach people for Christ? In, in the Bible, Jesus tells a story of a, of a king who threw a banquet. And when he threw the banquet, he invited all the guests, but some of the invited guests didn't come. And so he said to his servants, go out to the highways and the byways, to the edge of town, bring in whomever you can so that my house will be full. And there was sort of this, this, this feeling of, we're just going to go out and do whatever we can to tear down the wall between people who are far from God or are interested in God but aren't engaging Him through the church. And so we thought in 37 minutes, we can do a couple of acoustic songs. Uh, I can do about a 20-minute version of my message, which I was never able to do, by the way. Um, and, and so we, we, we set out to launch on that Easter. And I remember thinking, let's set up about 30, 40 chairs. That'd be great if 30, 40 people come out here. 30, 40 people started showing up just about the time that the Easter service was getting ready to start. And then 50, then 60, then 80, then 100, then 125, then 150, then 160, then 175 people showed up at the golf course outside. We were putting chairs all on the sides to the back, and I just remember being floored by God. Stepping out in faith saying, I don't know if this concept has any has any." connection to people God we, we believed and we trusted and to have the opportunity to share the Easter message the gospel of Christ to 175 people then we came over to the middle school and there was another about 170 people that were there and we thought what in the world a week ago we we're like 100 people and about 370 folks showed up for these Easter services and and remembering God just uh just doing some great stuff now of course we know Easter attendance is not the norm <laughs> And things leveled off, and, and we continued to do worship in two locations, at the, at the terrace, um, outdoors, and then we did a service at, at the school, and we did that seasonally as outdoors in the spring and the fall, in the spring and the fall. And then we kept thinking, all right, what's, what's a little more permanent thing that we could do for a second location? And there aren't a lot of locations out in our area, but again, God calling us, just keep, keep reaching, keep stretching. And so we, somebody had the idea, why don't you try the gym, sports bar and grill in Copper Basin? Anyone familiar with the gym, sports bar and grill? We saw that and we saw a great place to do church. And I remember asking for a meeting with the owners who were, uh, you know, kind of tougher guys, you know, running their bars and their businesses and they were having a meeting. And so I showed up with my proposal to do church in their facility. And, uh, and well, long story short, we got to meet there for free. <laughs> and they agreed that we could do church at the at the gym and it was one of those moments again where we thought i don't know what's going to happen but let's try it and so in a, on january in 2009 we, we on probably i don't remember which week but we said let's, let's start and we did a mailer and our mailer was uh, it said church at the bar and i remember it was a it was a beer glass and a tap and the, on the tap the word said faith <laughs> and we said faith on tap and it was a way of saying god this is we, we want to reach out we want to we want to get out there and we sent out 10,000 of these and we didn't know who would show up? 
The gym seats about 80 people, 60 of which could see the stage, but 80 people would fill every seat in the place, I think. And so that morning we thought, great, you know, let's see who shows up. And we, and, and we got there, and it was just going to be acoustic worship and up in the little stage there. We tapped into all the TVs, you know, the sports TVs, and with our video graphics stuff, we're all over the TVs in that place. And, um, and people started showing up. Little by little, they started coming. 30 people, 40, 50, 60, filling all the seats where you could see the stage. 80 people sitting in places they couldn't even see. 100, 120, 130 people at the gym, sports bar and grill. I don't know if they've ever had that many people in that place. It was standing room only. People were literally standing outside. We took one of our speakers, we put it outside the door, and we began to have worship. And I remember that being one of the most exciting worship times of just seeing this place, the, the gym, sports bar and grill, filled with people clapping, singing, worshiping, an opportunity to share the gospel. And just highlights parts in our journey where I think God, again, just kept saying, take a risk, take a chance, step out and do something. And, and, and so for a while, we actually had three services. We were, at the, we were outdoors at the golf course at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at the gym, sports bar and grill, 10 o'clock at Mountain Vista Middle School, and, and God continued to bless, and the church, church was growing. Now, we couldn't continue doing the terrace. It was too much back and forth with the hot and cold and summer and fall. And then the opportunity at the gym, sports bar, and grill closed. They wanted to open earlier. We couldn't meet there anymore. So in 2010, we decided to, uh, to do two worship services at the middle school and, and, and just continue to do what God was calling us to do, to continue to grow the church and, and to be about that. In 2011, we said, maybe it's time. There's an opportunity. There's this little house on about an acre lot on Hunt Highway that was for sale. And we thought, here's an opportunity for us to, to own some property, to have a building we could use for offices for midweek. This could be a great next step for us as a church. And at the beginning of 2011, we began to rally the church around this idea of purchasing this property that at one point had sold for over 300000 and And now the owner was going to foreclose on it. Or, and so we thought, we can get a short sale. We spent six to eight weeks of just really casting the vision for that, raising the money inside the church, outside the church. And I remember uh, it was a Sunday in March, I think, and it was our, it was our Sunday. We were all going to bring our, our first big gift for that in addition to our regular giving to kind of help us make a down payment on our loan and, and to be able to make an offer and to bring our pledges for what we would give over the next couple of years to help this dream become a reality. And it was a great Sunday. And I think overall we raised about $40,000 from within and outside the church and, and other pledges that would be used to go forward. And I remember riding high thinking, this is amazing. We got a loan, which was great for a, a young church. We had the resources now. We could do it. So Monday morning with the realtor, we contacted the owner of that property for a short sale offer. I think it was 130 some thousand, And he didn't even entertain looking at it, passing it on to the, the lender. We tried again the next day, and he just wouldn't do it. And we're thinking, why would you do that? Why would you go into foreclosure instead of accepting a short sale? I, don't, I still don't know the reason. But it was dead in the water. And I remember sitting there on a, on a Wednesday after we had this great Sunday, and I knew that the foreclosure was going to happen on that Friday. And once it went to foreclosure, we didn't know if it would ever come on the market, if some you know, business or, or investor would you know, swallow it up. And so I remember sitting there on a Wednesday at home, just kind of dumbfounded. God, you know, we took this step of faith. We risked something for you. We really see this as the next step for the church, and it's just dead in the water. Just all the doors are closed. I got a call that day from our realtor, and she said, you know what, Mark? She said, you won't believe this, but the house is going up for public auction on Friday 
for $86,135. And I remember thinking, how do we get it? <laughs> how do I get into an auction? This is crazy, but we had to have, again, long story short, we had to try to raise 100% of the money, and we got some short-term loans and was doing all kinds of stuff for two, for two three days to try to get our ducks in a row to be able to, to bid on this thing. And I remember showing up on Friday as an never having done this before, on the courthouse steps of Pinal County Courthouse. They literally do it outside on the little benches. They start calling properties up for auction. And I was hoping ours would, would come up. They said I wasn't quite sure, but it likely would. And I'm watching people bid each other up and, and just thinking, I don't, I don't know how high we're going to have to bid. I don't know who else is going to be interested in this property. Well, the hours passed, and the hours passed, and, and the house just wasn't coming up for auction. And and, and finally, the, the auctioneer said, I asked him, and he said, yeah, it'll, it, I think it's going to come up in, in just a little bit. In that process, I started finding out that there was a couple other people that were interested in that same property that they were going to bid on it. And one guy had, uh, you know, had asked me, and I told him the house we're bidding on, and, and then I asked him, which one are you bidding on? And he said, the same one. And I said, well, don't bid against us because we're a church. <laughs> and he says, oh, man, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> and... Uh, and, in, in, and so I texted Shannon. I said, like, we got to pray. There's other people interested. And, and, and in a little bit later, he comes back and says, I got one of the investors to drop out. I said, Shannon, keep praying. One of the investors is out. I don't know how many more there are. I know there's at least one more. And then he comes back a few minutes later, hands me his phone. He says, call this number. And I wasn't sure why. And he said, it's the other investor. And so I, I dialed that number, talked to a guy I'd never met before, told him about our story. We're interested in this property. We feel like God's, you know, moving our church to Tawana purchase that. And he said, well, from, from one Christian man to another, then if that's what you want to do, I'm going to back out of the auction as well. I'm not going to bid on it. And I texted Jan, I think two down. I don't know how many hours I left, but it's late in the afternoon. Some investors were leaving. And sure enough, the last house of the day, they're announcing the next bid is going to be on our property. And as, I, as so I'm getting nervous, all right, who would I have to bid against? And I knew the one investor that was representing some others. He was packing up. And one after another, it was almost, again, like a biblical story, they all left. They all dropped their stones and left. You make a little connection with the biblical story of the woman who was to be stoned to death. And they all dropped their stones and left. And we were the only ones standing there. Literally the only ones. And the auctioneer said, all right, opening the bid for 35244 North Tricker Road at $86,135. Do I have an opening bid? <laughs> you have to go $1 higher. So I was plus one. He said, all right, uh, one community church. Do I have a second bid? There's nobody around, all right? I'm not going to bid myself up, right? I mean, it was like crickets chirping. It was like dust bowl. You know, there was a tumbleweed coming across the prairie. I think I even heard a little... I mean, it was surreal, and, and my heart's pounding. And he says, all right, going once, going twice, three times, sold, one community church, $86,136. I could not believe it. I could not believe it. God had literally just parted the waters. And what we wouldn't, weren't even sure would ever be a, a, a possibility for us, God delivered to us at a price, at a way we couldn't have even imagined. And I remember sitting the next day having the keys, actually getting the keys, sitting there on the Saturday after the Sunday where we raised the money and going, I've got the keys. We're, we're in this place. We, we own this thing. And, and just, it was one of the most tangible moments of God moving and reminding me, yes, I want to establish my church here in this place. And it was a good thing. Because I don't, know all the reasons, but for the next year or two were some of the toughest years for one community church. After this incredible high of God coming through, some incredible stories, we hit about a two years where we were just struggling. We had challenges. We had financial challenges. We had, had um, just our, our growth was stalled and we were declining. Uh, some people were leaving. It was ugly. It was hard. 
Some of it was difficult. I remember hitting the wall in the summer of 2012. We were down to about 100 people after having been over 200 for a few years and wasn't sure when, when it was going to stop. When's the bleeding going to stop was kind of the feeling. Are we going to be able to survive? We have had to cut budgets. We've had to let staff go. Went from two services to one. And it was just one of these, these seasons that was so difficult and, and, and painful. So much so that in the middle of that summer, we, we couldn't even meet at the school anymore. And we actually started meeting in one central for worship. We had two worship services there because we couldn't even, even fit into the one. Um, but that was a God-honoring time. And in that time, I remember together, that was only a year and a half ago. Some of you were a part of that journey. We really made a recommitment to say, no, God wants this church to be here in this community. What are we going to do? Let's get, back, let's get back out there. Let's do what we do best. Let's reach the community. We began the live, love, kind of focus the language, the terminology. We began with a pancake jam and some live, love outreach and really started getting our, getting our groove back as a church, the heartbeat of who we are. And we began to look at a new location. We looked at Santan Heights, Middle, uh, Santan Heights Elementary School here. And in October of 2012, it was like a fresh beginning for one. And God really began to say and to lay a fresh foundation and said, you're the church. And I began to see the difference here in our church, even of the ownership of us as a, as a body, saying this is our church. And in the course of the last year, uh, even, even having such great outreaches, like the, we've done two pancake jams now. And remember the, the Easter egg hunt, the glow-in-the-dark Easter egg hunt, where we were overrun by about a million children and families, probably over a 1,000 people that, that came. And we know we're making an impact in the community. Over the years, we've touched hundreds and thousands of people as a church. We may not be a church of hundreds and thousands, but make no mistake, we have touched and impacted hundreds of thousands of people in this community by our focus of living love, of reaching out. We've had about 100 baptisms here in the year, in the years. 100 baptisms, people saying, we are all in for Christ, lives changing, God doing a great work. In just the last year, in just the last year, since, since the, the, the last part of 2012 to, uh, from 2012 to 2013, this point in time, we've had 18% growth as a church in this last year. And even, even more remarkably in some ways, our, our, our financial giving has gone up 42% over the previous year. That is a sign of investment, absolutely. You are saying, we belong here, this is our home, we're a part of this. And God is not done calling us to risk for Him. He's not done calling us to take some chances. I do believe right now we're in a season of, of stabilizing of getting healthy, of maturing as a church. And, uh, and, and I just want to right now just acknowledge some of the folks that have really made a difference in the life of this church through their leadership. And I want to ask anyone who has served as a team leader over the last five, six, seven years, if you've served as a team leader, whether it's through, whether it was a hosting team leader or belong team, whether it was a believe team, um, become team, whether it was our one kids, whether it was in, in youth, whether it was in a, in a facilities kind of role, advisory council, if you have served in one of those key leadership roles, would you just stand up right now? We want to give you a big round of applause. Look around you. There's some folks in the back standing up here. Uh, you got to do better than that, people. <laughs> Thank you guys very much. It, you know, there's oftentimes the unsung heroes, the, the volunteers the leaders, those who serve, not because it's a job, not because it's, it's a duty, but because they believe that's who God's called them to be, to lead and to serve 
and to do these ministries. And I know many of you, if I've asked who has volunteered, we'd have, we'd have the majority of you standing up. Who's served here at one? It's our church. And, uh, and, and I just think it's so important now as, as we look forward. You know, we look back today and we celebrate God's faithfulness. You've been there. You've walked with us. You've seen us through. Where do we go now? I think, you know, I, I brought my daughter up here earlier. We're still young as a church. A seven-year-old is not very old. And I think many of us in our faith are still young in our faith. We've reached many folks here who, many of you have found your faith here and have just began to grow your faith again. We need to strengthen that foundation. And, and I think what we really have to see is, God, how are we your community? How do we live that out? Not just attend church, not just do some community events, but how are we really your body, living on a different foundation, living with a different priority, living as, a, as your community in this place? And I think we need to continue to look at how do we own this church? Because you know what? This is not my church. It's, it's felt like my church for a lot of years because when you start a church, it's like, it's Mark's church. He started the church. It's not my church. It's not mine and Shannon's church. In the beginning, it was just us. But over the years, we're here because other people have served, even if they're not here anymore. Some have come. Some have gone. The church will continue. Churches that have been around for 100 years or a couple hundred years are not anyone's church. They're God's church. And the church belongs to the people that make up the church. And I love what we've seen over this year, the ownership that has taken place of saying, this is where we give, this is where we make the financial ends meet, this is where we serve. If we have need, this is where we step in. If somebody around us needs care, we step in as a community. We are one. Always remember Christ, we are one. And so let this be a time, let this be a year where we continue to grow in a healthy way like we have been in this last year, where you get your passion for God strong and hot and serve well what we do here as a church. It's a time of remembering. Now, in your, in your uh, worship folder, you have some post-it notes, and hopefully there's more than, than one, or there should be a couple of them in there, and so maybe you can share with people around you. I want us to take a time of remembering as we finish up this morning. I want you to think about, and I wrote the questions up on the whiteboards, you might not be able to see it, but how has God used one to make a difference in your life? If we're going to take a a time here to remember, and altars were built in the Old Testament to remember, and stones were piled upon, saying, here is why we mark this time and this place as a remembrance of what God has done. And what we're going to do is later, as we end in worship, we're going to come and you're going to take these post-it notes and you're going to stick them onto these two boards that we have. As a way of saying, God, I thank you. I remember what you've done. I honor you. You've, you've used this body to make a difference in my life, and we want to thank God in that way. In the Old Testament, there's a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. And Samuel is recalling some of the good things that God has done. And he's retelling some of the stories like we have this morning. And he takes this large stone, and he, and he, he, he puts it up. It's a very large stone. And you know what the stone he calls the stone? He calls it Ebenezer. He must have seen the, the was it the Christmas carol? Or Ebenezer Ezer Scrooge? No, it has nothing to do with that. He calls it Ebenezer. And the term means, by the Lord's help. The stone of help. And what he's saying is, look, I'm telling you these stories because we didn't get here alone. It was by the Lord's help that we've come this far. And we sing a great song. We're going to sing the song in just a few moments where there's this line, um, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. 
Nobody talks like that today anymore. And you might go, what is that all about? But we're saying when we sing that song, God, here I raise the stone as a remembrance of saying, I've come this far because of your help. Up until this point, you have brought us. And when we remember God's faithfulness, it inspires us to move forward to know that he is faithful. And so we want to take some time to remember. And the way that I also want us to do that, that Christ gave us a very specific way to remember as well, and that's communion. I think there's no better expression for a church to share and say we are one than when we take the broken body of Christ represented by the bread, the broken body of Christ on the cross, and the blood that he spilled out for us on the cross represented by the cup. And when we take those elements together to say this is why we are one. Always remember in Christ we are one. And he says anytime you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so we're going to combine all that today as we close. The band's going to come up here. We're going to sing this song as a closing song. And what I want you to do is I want you to come up and I want you to put your post-it notes on these boards remembering and thanking God for what He's done for you through this body that He has established, that He is the head of. And then take the cup and take the bread. But then I want you to take it back to your seat. And after the song is the first song is done, then I want us to uh, take communion together as one body. And by this way, we're going to tell God that we thank Him, we honor Him, we remember His goodness to us. So let's stand. Maybe you still need a second to jot down what you have, but let's do that. Post them. Take communion and bring it back to your seat. And let's sing.